Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Dr. Script, the podcast where we talk about your favorite films, what was good and what was bad, and how to improve on them. We don't just talk about the problems, but we give solutions to the problems. Today, my guest, the lovely Dr. Sam. Hey, everybody. Well, actually, I'm not a real doctor. I'm just a dentist. Ah, damn. Uh, <laughs> You'll get there, kid. You'll get Someday. there. Someday. We're working for it. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we... I'm sure that joke might hit a few hit home for some people because <laughs> we watched a movie today. That we, we did watch a movie today, and you know my head's hurting a little afterwards. I might need some Advil. I'm gonna have to drink water throughout this. Uh, you might actually want just a Bloody Mary. You know they really it's really good for the the uh, Kieran get the little uh, hair of the dog in there. Oh, that's true. Uh, if you don't know, we that's uh, we'd watch The Hangover, but not just The Hangover. The Hangover Part Two. That's right. Sorry for anybody jumping in here without having seen the first one, but... uh... Yes. Well, to give a little summary of this, the second one, two years after the bachelor party in Las Vegas, Phil, Stu, Alan, and Doug jet to Thailand for Stu's wedding. Stu plans just a very subpar wedding, little brunch at IHOP, but man, do things get wild real fast. Oh, yes, they do. And, uh... In case you watched this movie and were wondering, hey, have these guys ever been in any adventure before? They sure make sure to mention that they've <laughs> had an adventure before this. Yes. Uh, all right. So, Sam, general thoughts. What did you think of everything? Uh, I remember seeing the movie for the first time oh, and uh, watching it and laughing and being like, okay, that was fine. And then later on, the internet decides it hates it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't get it. And then we watched it again today and I got it. Uh <laughs> I, I in general, I liked it still, but like, it's a lot more mean-spirited than the first one. Yeah. I actually have like a funny story for the first time I watched this. It, I was with my soccer team and we were at this uh, Davis World Cup and it was a tradition every year that we were at this tournament to go see a movie and we all picked The Hangover 3. Two? And, or sorry, two, yes. Um, Hangover you don't two. watch The Hangover 3. <laughs> yeah. And... We're sitting all together, and my soccer coach, who also is, like, one of my good friends' his dad, is next to me throughout the whole movie. And I can tell you, when the prostitute scene came up, I have never felt more awkward in my life. And the thing that made it worse was that he was laughing his ass off throughout the whole thing. So I was just so cringe, like, oh my god, this is happening right now. Yep. Uh, but besides that very, uh, you know, traumatic theater experience, I still liked it walking out. But um, one of the main complaints of this movie is that, oh god, it happened again? Like, what are yeah. the odds of ha- having that happen? True, they, they, they mentioned it before where it's like, we went on this crazy adventure and then it's like the very opening scene is like, Bradley Cooper's on the phone and says, it happened again. And they do that a lot for like the first 30 minutes, which is kind of annoying and they don't do that as much later on right but definitely coming into this it's like hey you remember this thing you loved we're reminding you that you loved this thing like a good portion of the first part of the movie is just reminding you that you liked the first one that's true but just going in general of like they were got fucked up again and then lost another guy like Mm -hmm. what happened like I've never understood that argument. I feel like you're going to see a Hangover movie. You saw the first one. What do you expect? Yeah. Like, you don't get mad that Scooby-Doo has to go solve another mystery. Like, yeah. For me, the problem wasn't that it was the same movie. It was that they're telling you that you're watching the same movie. <laughs> like, is they're trying to, like, say, you're going to like what we're showing you right now. You're currently liking what we're showing you right now because you liked the other one. 
So I don't have to, I don't have a problem if something's like rehashing like a little bit. Right. Like, but the fact that it, it went out of its way to tell you that it was doing it was a little, was not uh, my favorite thing that yeah. the movie could do. I don't, I don't want to like uh, go off too much, but considering it is basically the first movie all over again, what did you think of the first Hangover? Uh, I mean, the first Hangover is great. Evelyn's like really funny, a good little mystery comedy there. You know, I agree. I really liked it a lot. It was it was fun and it felt original at the time, and it, I think it's still good for a rewatchability. Uh, I think it's still it's almost as mean spirited as this one, but it I think it works in this in the way that you're almost more rooting for these people. Like right. in the first one, in the first one, it is just sort of more of like, oh, things are like this is bad happening, but it's not like the characters being mean. It's just mm-hmm. like they're in a mean situation dealing with mean other people. Like Chow is a jerk in the first one, and this yeah. one he's like a comrade. And they like in the first one, they're they're like you know either mean to each other or like get angry or like these big things happen, and they're flawed people. But it's it's like yeah, they're just dealing with the situation, whereas. In this one, like, the whole likability of Zach Galifianakis being, like, a, like a doofus and, like, you know, messing things up, it was all, like, you know, because he wanted to fit in and he, he really wanted to be part of the group. But he's just really awful to people in this one. Like, yeah. kind of out of nowhere, like, as if that's his character trait. Yeah, and we'll get back to that. Everyone in this movie is just a lot meaner and selfish, like, there's a point where Bradley Cooper, when he's at the IHOP, is saying, like, oh, Stu, you're such an ass. Like, you didn't think about us for your wedding and everything. Like, so selfish. And I took that as a joke of him being, Bradley Cooper being selfish. But I don't know if that was supposed to be intended as a joke. I think it was, like, supposed to be a joke where it's like, wow, you're not, like, making your wedding out for us. But the only other scene that they really have together of, like, Stu and uh, Bradley Cooper, I can't remember his character's name. Mm-hmm. Uh well. Phil, uh, is the first scene in which, like, uh, Stu's doing, like, a dental appointment for, for Phil, and, like, he's still, like, Phil's complaining the whole time, like, he doesn't do anything except complain about the fact that he has so much to do, like, to prepare and get to this wedding, and, like, that he's not getting a bachelor party. Yep. And again, there's not, it's not friendship, you, you don't see the friendship, you just see them, uh, just bickering with each other. Like, again, not to rehash the, the first one, because... But the movie keeps rehashing the first one, so I'm allowing it. <laughs> is that they at least like talk on the phone and like mess with each other? Like you know, he calls them names outside like his like Stu's house, mm-hmm. and like that's that's things that friends do, like in in a in a mean way, but also in a way that like these are your buds, you're allowed to do that. He's just complaining <laughs> the whole time. Should we talk about the brief summary and our like a yeah, recap of everything? I mean, let's try and summarize it as much as we can. It's just a lot of. This happens and this happens. Right. All right. So we're going to just summarize the movie right here. If you guys just want to skip to the exact script doctoring part, I would skip maybe 12 to 15 minutes. You have been warned. All right. So the opening scene is just Stu and Phil talking about their wedding. Phil tries to uh, steal some prescription drugs or uh, a prescription pad. Because we're supposed to like him as a character. And then he tells Stu to fuck off afterwards. Yep. Yeah. Really like that guy. Uh, and then I think after that, uh, uh, Doug from the first movie is driving with his wife and she tells him that, uh, Alan has found out that Stu's going to the wedding and didn't invite him. Right. So now she's pressuring, uh, Doug to invite Alan. 
Yes. And so then they all go to IHOP together. Where they have this wild bachelor party. Yeah, which is it's kind of funny that he's trying to avoid the uh, the whole situation again. So he's right. like, IHOP's our bachelor party. Yes, he and mentions how the prostitute and Vegas still are like haunting him, and he still has like memories of everything. But then they end up just saying that Alan can come. They go visit Alan. They invite him over. Alan's super pumped. Mm-hmm. And we go to the airport where we meet Stu's wife's sister. I don't remember. Uh, what's her name in it? Jamie? You mean Stu's wife? Not, his sis- not her sister. Sorry. Stu's, Stewie, Stewie's, <laughs> Stu, Stu's, Stu's wife's, wife's brother. brother yeah. Teddy. And boy, does Alan hate Teddy. Yep. He just right off the bat, he's just like, F this guy. And I think he's worried that like, you know, Teddy's going to ruin the flow of like the four man wolf pack. Right. But he doesn't do anything to really, like, get that vibe besides I'm on the same plane as you and I'm related to Stu's wife. Yeah. And we'll come back to that. I have some notes about that. But anyways, they get on the plane, go to Thailand. Mm -hmm. They go to the wedding, or not the wedding, like the... the, Like the location, like the hotel or wherever they're staying. Right. They all, they meet everyone. We meet the wife, her dad who's very disapproving of Stu and doesn't think he is suited for his daughter, which he isn't No, he's at not. Who <laughs> again, something we could get back to. <laughs> but then later, they uh, it's like the rehearsal dinner, and the father, uh, father-in-law gives a speech about Stu and just says that, says so many mean things about him, and then says, well, he's just a pile of white rice, <laughs> so he's harmless, Everybody needs white rice because we have to feed the babies and the elderly. Yep. And, and then Alan tries to give a toast and uh, talks about how Stu got married in Vegas and then everyone shushes him. Yes. And right after that, the Brad or uh, Phil tries to get Stu to come out and go on the beach and drink with them all. Stu reluctantly goes down. Then it's Teddy, Alan, Phil, Doug, and Stu all drinking and eating marshmallows. Then... They all black out yeah. and wake up in a hotel room where Bradley Cooper finds a finger, Alan's head shaved, and Stu with a ty- uh, Mike Tyson tattoo. Uh, and then they realize that the finger belongs to Teddy because he, he goes to Stanford and it's got one of those Stanford class rings on it. Right. Uh, and then they're trying to figure out where Teddy is. But they can't they find can't him. They can't find him. And then, and then uh, Doug calls him, being like, hey guys, what's up? And they're like, <laughs> oh, we had this crazy night. Where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm at breakfast. Wait, are you guys not coming? And then he, quietly, Justin Bartha's like, man, I wanted to be in this movie. I felt so bad for him. They were just like, ah, we Doug, we, we're just going to sideline you again. Yep. But uh, at some point, then they find uh, Mr. Chow from the first movie, the drug dealer, the uh, gangster from there. Yes. Is there, Alan invited him. And he's like, oh, man, guys, we had a crazy night. Let me tell you the story. And then he falls down and dead. Yes. And then he ODs. And then they're like, uh, what? So then they decide to take Mr. Chow up to the 15th floor and throw his body in an ice machine. Yeah, because they don't want to deal with having a dead body on their hands. And then immediately after they put the body away... Again, these guys are really cool with having to put a dead body away, <laughs> even though they're all mild-mannered individuals. Yes, they get over a lot of these uh, traumatizing things pretty fast, especially yeah. in a less than a day. Uh, but then Stu remembers the end of the first movie and says we should all go to the roof. Yes. 
Uh, and so they all go to the roof, uh, but they don't find anything. And then they empty their pockets. And uh, they find a nightclub card that they originally went to last night, right? I think so. This is this is where it gets a little fuzzy because they start just going places. Oh, also there's a monkey there. Oh, right. I forgot the monkey goes with them too. The monkey was in the hotel room yes. and it goes along on this adventure. Uh, and yeah, I think at some point they, they find a, uh, a drink card for a bar that they went to. So they go to like this old abandoned, not abandoned, but it's like this destroyed street in Bangkok. People are cleaning up, throwing bottles at them. And they're like, hey, why are they so, why do they hate us? And then they find out it's because they started a freaking raid or a they started a riot. They, a riot. Uh, they no, they find no, the they they no. Yeah. We we went too far ahead <laughs> again because they jump around so much. Uh, yeah, at some that. point, they uh, they get a call from Doug, and Doug tells them that Teddy's in jail, and so they go to the prison. And when they try and release Teddy, it's actually this old guy in a wheelchair wearing Teddy's sweatshirt and has all of Teddy's like wallet and keys and stuff right and so now they just have this old guy who won't but he's not going to speak to them he's not talking to them and then in teddy stuff they find the card for uh the bar right so they go to the street they get hassled and then they find out uh then they find the tattoo parlor where uh Stu got his Mike Tyson tattoo. Right. So they go inside and they talk to they talk to the director of the notebook. Yes. This this casting decision was a big thing back when it first got released. It was supposed to be either Liam Neeson or Mel Gibson. Yeah. And, and then something happened. Well they they well, shot it with one of them and then they needed to do a reshoot for something. I guess either I don't actually know what the reason was, but they had to reshoot the scene. But uh, the the famous actor was not available at the time. Right. So then the director, Todd Phillips, called in a favor for one of his friends, uh, Nick Cassavetes, the uh, director of such movies as The Notebook and The Other Woman. <laughs> Again, not, not necessarily bad films, just... Uh, Very uh, interesting IMDb yeah. profile. And it's got. also funny that the guy who made The Notebook plays this like like buff tattoo parlor dude who's like, you guys are weak. <laughs> So then he tells them about this. Oh yeah, then he, oh the meditation. Then he tells them. Well, he tells them about the riot. He shows them like right. video footage on his phone. He says, like, "I shielded you from the from the riot." And they're like, "Great, now we have nothing, and we've got a mute old guy." And he's like, "Well, he's not mute. He's a monk, uh, as you can see by this tattoo on his arm. This is where he's from." Then they take him to the meditation place where they tell the trio to go meditate and figure out what happened. And so Alan then has this realization of what happened last night. And so we go through a quick little montage of what they did last night. But instead of them, it's like the little kids. Like, it's them them. as if they're, like, kids. Right. Uh, Which I thought was a cool touch and would be a lot better in a better movie. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, because it's, like, you know, supposed to be Alan's mind and it's, like, he imagines them kind of as these kids going on this adventure. Right. Uh, So then he he sees a vision of, like, the sign for a strip club. Yes. Uh, and so he they go, they all go to a strip club, leaving the monk behind. So the the three of them and the monkey go to the strip club. And at the strip club, they meet this guy named Sahir. Sure, Sahir. Uh, and he's he was working with Mr. Chow uh, to try and sell him some weapons. And they they're like, oh no, we're we're not with Chow. Don't worry. And then she's and then he's like, oh, you, are you here to see uh, one of the one of the strippers? Yes. And they're like. Oh, did, does she remember? And she's like, yeah, she's waiting in the back for you. And this was the traumatizing scene I was talking about with my soccer coach slash dad's friend, or a uh, friend of my friend's dad. And it's, 
it's not traumatizing because of the scene itself. It's traumatizing because of how they let the scene play out. Yes. And uh, the character actions throughout. So they they go and they talk to the, the stripper. And, you know, she's very friendly towards them, trying to tell them, you know, about what happened. And I don't think she gives them any information. But then she tells Stu that uh, they actually uh, had a good time last night. They had a great time. And Stu's like, oh, no, did I, did I cheat on my wife? Did I cheat on my significant other again with another stripper? <laughs> and then it, it happened, and they uh, reveal... That she's um, she's the, a man. Yeah, the stripper is a uh, biologically male, but with the uh, aesthetic features of female. Yes. Uh, and which is which is a, a popular stripper category in other in other cultures. And when Stu finds out that he had sex with a transgender st- stripper, boy, does he freak out, and everyone freak out around him. Yep. But we also don't really get any new information from here to move the plot forward. Yep. Nope. This was just shock humor. They leave the they leave the club with no new information, and oh. they're just. But then the uh, the monkey gets stolen by some Russian thugs. Right. Uh, Phil gets shot, and then they go to a hospital. Right. And at the hospital, Alan reveals that surprise, surprise, he drugged them all again. Classic Alan. Uh, Don't you always have that one friend that always just keeps drugging you? Yeah, and then we drop that friend. <laughs> you stop hanging out with that friend. Uh, but yeah, so they do that, and then Alan reveals that he. He had two bags of marshmallows, and he drugged one of them, only that he was only meaning to give to Teddy, but then Teddy shared all the marshmallows with everybody, and so they all got drugged. Also, I know we just sort of casually went over that Phil got shot, but so does the movie. Yep, uh, Phil got shot, and then later on, uh, it's just like, oh yeah, the bullet grazed me, don't worry about it. Yeah, it only cost me six bucks. Yep, I think they just needed an excuse for the monkey to get stolen. Stu and Alan get in a fight after revealing that. But then uh, in the fight, Alan's shirt gets, like, adjusted a little, and they see that he's actually got a, uh, a message written on his stomach. Right. That tells them about a location and a time. So they go to the location where <laughs> they meet Paul, Paul Giamatti. Giamatti. And uh, Paul Giamatti basically tells them that he's got a deal with Chow, that he needs uh, an account code so that Chow can transfer him some money because he really he owes him a, a lot. Yes. And so then they go back to the ice machine that they put Chow in, they open it, and Mr. Chow just jumps out and attacks him. And he's like, I wasn't dead. Have you guys never done drugs before? Sometimes your heart stops. Sometimes you die. Exactly. Yep. God, what rookies. He doesn't know that. <laughs> and then after that, Chow reveals that he uh, he stashed the account info, uh, like the bank account info, in the vest of the monkey. Yes. So now they have to go back to the Russian gang and get and steal the monkey back. Yes, so then they try and get the monkey back together. Uh, they end up accidentally sort of stealing the monkey. The Russians try and chase him down. They lose him. It's a big car chase. And the monkey, unfortunately, gets shot. I was tearing it, up, man. It, it was so sad. Uh, yeah, they get the account thing out of the monkey's vest, but at what cost? Yeah, at what cost? The humanity. The humanity. But yeah, the monkey goes to the hospital. They get the account number. And then the next day, they go to the hotel, yes, to the rooftop where Paul Giamatti's having a very nice breakfast. So nice. I mean, he, he really deserves the best. I pulled off the big money to get Paul Giamatti for two scenes. Exactly. Uh, and then Chow uh, does the deal with Paul Giamatti, and oh yeah, and sorry, the, the, the entire that 
the reason they have to do this is because Paul Giamatti says that they have Teddy held captured. Right. So once Chow gives them the information, they will return Teddy to the guys. So after they go through all that, Chow shows up. Chow does the transaction, but in a twist of fate... He works for the FBI! Whoa! And then the other bartender or bouncer that was in the strip club ratted Chow out. Yep. And now Chow gets arrested and taken away. And then Paul Giamatti has no idea where Teddy is, and they leave the trio empty-handed. So then they're all stuck. Everything that this journey has been building to builds to nothing. Yes. And then they go to a bar where they're just going to think about their lives. And Stu tells Phil to to make the call to tell everybody that uh, they messed up and they're never coming home again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then through a series of coincidences, Stu puts together exactly what happened. So he sees that the power goes out at the bar. Mm-hmm. He notices that there's not a lot of ice, so they get an ice bucket. And then he sees the uh, the fan, the ice melting. And then he finally puts everything together that Teddy is stuck in the elevator. And so then they rush back to the hotel with a crowbar, ask the manager, hey, <laughs> is your elevator still broken? And what for? And the manager's like, yeah, it's on the 10th. So then they run up the 10th floor. Just saying, if you run into a hotel holding a crowbar and yell, where's the elevator? <laughs> I don't think the manager should let you in. But yeah, the, the basic gist of, I guess, how Stu figured it out was that after Teddy's finger got cut off, he put his finger in a cup of ice the next morning, the ice melted, so he went upstairs in the elevator to get another uh, to get more ice. But that's when the power outage happened, and he got stuck in the elevator yes. as it was as he was going to get the ice. And yeah, and so they find Teddy. Teddy's like, "Whoa, where where am I?" And everything. They tell him he's in Bangkok, and now they only have like an hour or two until the wedding. Mm-hmm. So then they find out that Mr. Chow had a boat. They jack, hijack the boat and quickly go over, jet skiing over to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And the whole time, the dads, they're like, rawr, rawr, rawr. what is this? This is like most unorthodox. The wedding this, is canceled. He's telling everybody the wedding's canceled. I don't like Stu. Get him out of here. And then the, the boys are like yelling from the water like, wait, hold on. And the speedboat crashes into the wedding venue and Stu steps out and he's like, I'm, I've got these problems but I love your daughter, and you better respect me for it. And he's got this tattoo, and Teddy's fingers gone. Everybody looks disheveled. Everything looks a mess. And he's like, listen, I love her so much. And hey, sorry, I didn't ask you about this. Lauren, are you okay with this? And she's like, sure. Sure. (laughs) She's just fine. It's a mess. You cut off my brother's finger, but sure. And begrudgingly, uh, the dad shakes. Not not even begrudgingly. begrudgingly. He's just like, you know what? You're right. I respect you. Yeah, you're not white toast anymore. I mean, he's still pretty much white rice, but like, you know, cool white rice with a little sriracha on it. Yeah, good for you. And so, yeah, (laughs) so they get married. Uh, Everything goes as according to plan there. Mike Tyson makes a cameo at the end. Yeah, Mike Tyson shows up and is the wedding singer. And then, uh uh-oh, at the end, Teddy charged his phone and found some crazy pictures from the night. That he did. And so that is The Hangover Part 2. Yeah, so if some of that sounds familiar, it's basically because they looked at the script for The Hangover and said, let's do that again. And make it bigger and a little more crazy, Mm -hmm. which I respect that as something that you need to do for a sequel, make it bigger and 
you have to make you have to expand on the world and kind of figure things out and there's nothing wrong with that it's just it really is doing the same thing but bigger is different than like hey what other things can we do with these characters but bigger right yeah yeah so i mean that's that's the whole movie uh do anything else you want to go over summary wise you just want to dive into surgery i think i'm just ready to go into surgery if you are uh yeah, I mean, let's go for it. <laughs> Take the lead, sir. <laughs> I have a lot to talk about here. So one of the biggest, earliest problems that the script has is that Alan hates Teddy for no reason. Like, the only reason that it is is because Alan was expecting to have this adventure with his friends, like the same friends as before, you know, and uh, the whole the whole Wolfpack crew and the fact that Alan is there upsets the entire balance of it. But Teddy's just there. He's not, like, yeah. trying to fit himself into the group or anything. Like, he's just like, yeah, we're on the same flight. Like, he's, Alan's not getting mad that the wife's dad's there. And he's like, oh, he's going to ruin the chemistry. No, it's, or he's not even mad that Doug's there. Doug like, wasn't in the like, first one. Because it would be different if, like, the if Teddy was there and he's like, yo, I'm ready to party with you guys. Like, mm-hmm. we're totally going to, like, rage the night away. And that's when Alan gets mad rather than... This quiet kid who, like, is studying to be a doctor at Stanford, like, comes up and he's like, hey guys, uh, it's good to see you. Like, he's such a polite guy. Like, Alan should only get mad if he's, like, ruining the flow of their entire friendship. Right. So the, the idea I had was in the first scene at the airport where we first meet Teddy, say, like, Alan just, like, has his, like, wits up a little bit about him, but he's, like, not, Teddy's not trying to interfere or anything. And then when we get on the plane... Teddy is sitting next to Stu and uh, Phil, and Alan's just like, oh, I want I want to sit here. Can mm-hmm. I sit here? And then Teddy's like, well, I gave you my like headrest, and then you threw it out, so now my neck is going to be messed up, and I'm trying to sleep and study, and the lighting's better or something. And then that's sort of what motivates Alan to be like, oh, he's trying to, he's trying to step his boundaries right now. Mm-hmm. He's trying to flex on my step. And then the whole, because when the flight is actually going on, Alan is just like listening to music, staring at Teddy. And I feel like that's a good reason for Alan just to stare at Teddy for the whole time too. Yeah. I, I think something like that could work. I, I like the idea of Teddy still being, you know, the shy guy and something like that still happening. Yeah. But like He's Teddy, shy. yeah, but Teddy being like, hey, it'd be really cool if we could like hang out this weekend and like, you know, be brothers or something. Right. And like something that would make Alan feel like he, like Teddy's intruding, like, hey, I hope I'm not like you know messing up the bachelor party or whatever you're gonna do, but like I want to hang out, and then that's when Alan's like, actually, this is a wolf pack only thing, like, right? I like that a lot too. That would add to his character, and at the end when uh, Teddy's like, wow, I can't believe how much fun I had, and I don't like remember anything. It would, it would make a little bit more sense that he, it was his goal for the for the night, yeah, or like the, his goal for like the the stories that he wants to be more outgoing, yeah. Or maybe even, I, I like that, and say we're doing the airplane sitting mm-hmm. arrangement, like, Stu is the one like, no, you should stay here, and then Teddy's like, yeah, I, I don't know Stu that well, I want to talk to him more, and then say, Teddy's doing homework and stuff, and he's like, I gotta just finish all this homework, it'll only take me five hours, mm-hmm. Stu, and then Stu's like, wow, you don't have any fun, like, yeah. and he's like, yeah, my dad, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, something like that. That's something to add to Teddy's character and to give Alan more of a reason to to do what he's doing right because teddy is bland as hell yes there's no reason that we should be saving teddy other than that he is Stu's future Mm brother-in-law which even then if we're supposed to if we're not going to advance teddy's character then we need to make 
the, his future wife more of a character too. Right. Like there needs to be something to make us care about why this person is needs to be found. Because in the first movie, it's Doug's wedding. Doug's the one that you need to save because all the stakes ride on him. Otherwise, there's no wedding and ev- everything is ruined. Right. But with this one, you do need to find Teddy. It's important <laughs> to find this kid, but it's not really an immediate thing that you need to do. You could get the police and try and have them search and find or to get, you know, your connections to find to find him. Yeah, it's like a, you have Chow there. Yeah, it just feel it just feels like we don't know enough about Teddy to care and there's no plot element that makes us need to care that he's missing. Right. Oh, I definitely agree with that. And then continuing on the roofies, I don't want Alan to roofie them again. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like Alan should have learned his lesson at this point about that. And, like, Alan didn't even mean to roofie on the first one, right? He just, no, like, Alan, got the wrong drugs. Yeah, Alan meant to, uh, it was some other ecstasy. drug that he was, yeah, he was yeah. to give them ecstasy. And then it was an accidental, like, like he still drugged them, but it wasn't supposed to be as bad, which it, right. it's a bad thing to say, but still. Yes. This is, this is the world we live in. <laughs> this is the hangover world we live in. But it would have been better, like, in this one, if maybe instead Mr. Chow was the one who yes. drugged them. Yes. I think what we do is they're all partying on the beach, and Chow comes up on his boat being like, what's up, bitches? And Alan's like, oh, good, you finally came. And then either Mr. Chow has booze that acts, that have roofies in them, and mm-hmm. he didn't know it, and they all, like, get accidentally roofied, or Chow purposely... Roofies, everyone's like, oh, I thought that's how you roll. You like to get roofied, right? And then if we, I, I'm sort of leaning towards like the drinks that he has are roofied. And then the people that come, like that take Teddy supposedly, like, oh, they, these guys, these thugs probably took Teddy as insurance. They probably thought he was my son or something. Yeah. And so then the Paul Giamatti character comes back and it's like, oh yeah, we totally did that. No, that would make, that would make a lot more sense. And it would just streamline so many things. Right. So, I want that to happen with Chow. Uh, one thing that I thought could have been funny, if they had shaved Alan's head and beard, mm-hmm. and say they just don't recognize Alan at first, being <laughs> like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Alan. And they're like, no, you're not. Yeah, no, that, that could have been funny if they did, if they, because that's Zach Galifianakis' big thing is his beard. That's right. like the, his defining feature, so if they shaved both of those. I guess originally they were going to have him shave his beard, but then Zach Galifianakis said no. But he shaved it for other roles, which is an interesting thing. Oh, really? Yeah, he shaved it for, uh, uh, well, he has it for baskets, but he shaved it for uh, the campaign, the movie with Will Ferrell. Mm. I think he's just got that small mustache. Right. And actually, he shaved it once for a single sketch on Saturday Night Live. Wow. Yeah, like it was the very last sketch of the night, and between that, the sketch before that one and that one, they had to like put him in costume and shave the entire thing, because he was supposed to be uh, a judge for a pageant. And that was like the big, that was the big reveal at the end is like, all right, the thing that you know the most about Zach Galifianakis, it's gone now. All right. Yeah. So he's, he shaved it for other things. Yeah. He's changed his tune on that quite a lot. But I do think if they did that, there could have been a fun bit in there rather than just being like, whoa, Alan, you're bald now. All right, let's move on. (laughs) Like it's, it's barely a joke. Yes. So say if Chow did drug them and everything, Chow still like. ODs or whatever, and they get their first clue through Chow's phone, mm-hmm. and then that's how what starts everything. Yeah, just wanted to connect that again. But here's the big thing that we gotta change on this: 
Stu can't bang the stripper again. Yes. This is like the most mean-spirited, unnecessary thing that this movie does. Yeah, he cannot, he can't bang the stripper again. He could be like, he could have either gotten really close, or they think it's Stu, and then they're like, oh, wait, your your name's not Phil? <laughs> or like something like, well, Phil's also married, maybe we should just get it to be <laughs> Alan, or Chow. I, I was thinking we make it either Alan, or, or not Alan, sorry, um... Chow or Teddy. Oh, yeah, that would have been better. Yeah, because then we have more of a thing that, a, like a bonding thing, sort of, of Stu and Teddy, maybe. Oh, yeah, because then at the end, Stu could be like, so, uh, you banged the stripper. It's like, yeah. Yeah, and she, everyone does that, you know? Like, what if, yeah, exactly, like, that would like, be great. It's like a rite, it's like, it's a rite of passage for joining the family or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and Teddy doesn't realize that it, you know, what who the stripper really is, and like, yeah, man, that was my first time. I'm thinking about calling her and everything. It's like, ah, maybe not, buddy. You're like, it's, <laughs> it's Bangkok. Like, <laughs> Bangkok has you now. Yes. Uh, no, I think that I think that would be good, because, yeah, that just is, adds so much insult to injury, because a lot of times people, you know, you just make the excuse, he was drunk, it doesn't matter. Right. But, but what you do still matters. Yeah, and he's about to get married the next, like, day mm-hmm. or two. Like, yikes, dude. Because the fact that he, like, in the first movie cheated on his girlfriend is still bad, mm-hmm. but, you know, she, people but, didn't people didn't like her. Yeah, she and, was mean. She had already cheated on him. And it, 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 was, it was already a thing that, like, two wrongs don't make a right, but at least there's a better wrong yes. in that situation. And another thing with Stu actually banging the stripper, Teddy has pictures of him doing it, you know? Like, in the montage at the end, they show Stu, like, about to hook up with her and then like sort it in the act and with everything. And so Teddy knows Stu cheated on his sister with a yeah. stripper. Like Teddy's pretty chill about that because in the next movie he's still with her. Yeah, and I think the again, similar to how like if in the first couple scenes with Teddy we show that he's trying to bond with Stu, that would make a little bit more sense where it's like, listen, don't worry, I won't tell my sister. Uh it's a uh, you know, it's a, oh, it's, a, it's, a it's a blood pact. I mean he shouldn't bang the stripper. That's our thing. Yeah, but if yeah. he's going to, you have to set it up so that there's something that like Teddy's gonna be either be okay with it or just not know about it. Yeah, there's just like no reason for Teddy to be like a, like a so chill about that happening. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. It's really mean spirited, and we don't like Stu afterwards. Yeah, no, I think, and I think if it was uh, Teddy that was involved, like the stripper could actually know. Uh, what what was going on and like kind of give him more of a clue or give the whole group like more of a clue for, as to, for what to go on. Yeah. Because from there they only get to find out more information because randomly Alan tells them what he's thinking. And that's right after the strip club they just get... Uh, yeah, the monkey gets taken and then they'll get shot. So she could have been like... I don't know. Or she should have told she, them information. She could have told them about like the meeting they were supposed to go to. It's like, hey, did you end up going to that meeting at the hotel? Yeah. And then she looks and is like, oh, it's actually not 6 o'clock yet. I guess you guys still have time to get there. Right. See, and that's more of a... Because a lot of this movie, again, is just like, and then this happens, and mm-hmm. then this happens. And that, if we did this, it would be more of a... And because they went to the strip club, then they... Or like because yeah. of that, they ended up coming here. Because then that would mean also if they didn't do that, the monkey wouldn't have gotten stolen yet. And mm-hmm. then they get Chow out of the ice machine. Right. And so a few things could have happened from there. Like the uh, Chow like jumping out of the ice machine could have scared the monkey and had it run away. And that's when they have to go like chase after it. Mm-hmm. Or while they're talking, like at, you know, when they have Chow and he's like, 
oh, it's in the monkey's vest, go reach into his pocket. That's when it's more of an obstacle where it's like the get, like the Russian gang grabs the monkey and takes him away. Right. And then they have to be like, oh no, we, we have to, we have to get the monkey back. Like it, just making each thing feel more like they, they, they lead into each other or that something happens. Yes. But something gets in the way. Yeah. And if Chow is the one that sleeps with the stripper, I think it's like, you could have a joke where Chow's like, oh yeah, I knew, but like it was $20 cheaper. So I just went with her. Mm-hmm. And then like, I feel like that's a Chow thing to do. Yeah. And then it gives more. Also, if you're going to say something offensive, give it to Chow because he's an awful person. <laughs> and say he doesn't pay for the stripper, mm-hmm. then it gives more reason for, like, the bartender bouncer guy to turn on Chow. Oh, yeah, then, because that would add to the story rather than just being like, hey, guess what? I'm also an arms dealer. Yeah, exactly. And so going down with it, I think another missed opportunity that it had is that Alan, when he actually admits that he's roofied him, Phil tells him they aren't friends anymore. And that's, like, Alan's worst nightmare and by the next scene after that, Phil's like, you know, fine, yeah, we're still friends, even in Great Britain or, like, yeah, New yeah. Zealand. Now that, that makes sense, because, like, throughout the movie and the, the one before this, like, uh, Alan has, like, a, an affinity for Phil. Like, he looks up to him like a, like a, I don't want to say like a father figure, but like a best, like, the one he wants to be his best friend. Right. And so it, it, it would be better if, like, maybe there was some sort of character thing where Phil has to, like... Uh, is still mad at Alan, and Alan does something to, like, redeem himself a little bit. Yeah, he needs, like, he could have been, say, the monkey thing goes awry, and Alan's like, no, I need to go save, get the monkey and save Teddy for Phil to be, you know, approving me again. And he needs to do something that's, like, selfless, you know, Mm because everything that he's been doing is selfish. Yeah. I mean, I think... We can get into dissecting, like, the minutiae of it later, because I think that goes into, like, the Todd Phillips style and, mm-hmm. like, the attitude. But, yeah, we can go into that after we're done with surgery. Yeah, well, that, uh, that was... Yeah, I do, I do think Phil being mad and then Alan helping and whatever would be better. Just making making Phil less selfish throughout, or at least giving him something kind to do later. Yeah, and it's going to be the same thing with Stu, because Stu needs to prove to his father-in-law that he deserves his daughter mm-hmm. so he he's got to do something because at the end the dad's just like you know you're right you do have demons so now you can marry my yeah. daughter because if you're from the dad's perspective you don't know Stu slept with a stripper but like he's right about her right about Stu. his son lost a finger so now he can't that son can't go into med school because he can't do surgery and can't play the violin anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, why does the dad like him now? Yeah. Well, I think that could even be more of something if they reveal that uh, that they were working with Chow and that they helped get Chow arrested. Because mm. what if what if the father-in-law like was actually doing business, with, had done business with Chow and didn't realize he was like an international criminal? Yeah. And then that could be the thing that gives him respect because there's really no reason that he should do that. It's like, oh, you survived Bangkok? And you helped get Chow put in, put in like jail. You must be a, a very strong person. You you must be very uh, smart and like connected with the right people. Yeah. What if like the whole time there he's like, where are where are you? What were you doing? And he would, Stu was like, yeah, I had to tell you it was a fishing trip, but we were actually undercover to get Chow uh, yeah. under arrest. And I'm sorry, like Teddy lost a finger during it. I take full responsibility of it. And, if you don't want me to marry your daughter right now, then I will accept that. And the dad's like, whoa, you actually respect me? And you did, like, an international good service. Like, all right, 
I like you now. Like so, something like that, something to be redeeming rather than because I get the idea of saying like, "This is who I am, and take me as I am, or leave me," and that's fine. It's fine if you don't do bad things. Yeah. <laughs> but if you do bad things, maybe you should just find another way around that. Yeah. No, I I, I liked that chow thing a lot. Yeah. Is there anything specifically that you would want to change too? I mean, I would want. I would definitely want it to not be a sudden realization as to where Teddy is this time. Mm-hmm. I, because in the first movie it was, it was funny because everything that they did still led to what they needed because everything happened and then they were stuck and all they had was other Doug and other Doug says something that like triggers uh, Alan's or uh, triggers Stu's memories uh, or like realization as to what's going on. So they needed other Doug to be there so that they could, uh, so they could do that this time. There's nothing. Nothing happens that they, that led to this moment that did it. So it would be almost like a lot better if <laughs> if after they like helped Paul Giamatti get uh, Chow arrested, they said something like, "Yeah, we traced like the location on his phone, and he's he's at this location, and it's the hotel still." And like w- we have to go right back to where we started. And then he, like, makes the realization by seeing, like, the, you know, the ice on... He can still do the magical realization, but at least get them back to the location or something. Yeah, maybe not with I, the iPhone thing, not as much, but, like, they, they should lead into him realizing in a different way, I mm-hmm. agree, because they spoon-fed you everything of, like, oh, this is what he's thinking right now. Like, here's the flashback. Here's yeah. the elevator. Here's the ice and the finger. Like, don't you get, understand now? Mm-hmm. And if we just had Stu's, like, face realizing it all i think it would have been and cutting to like the power coming out alan's game playing in the fan like i think just in general that scene could have been edited better but i also agree that things they do need to connect going forward you know i i and again maybe the last time i connected the first movie but they do that and where he the uh, other doug says like they should call him groundies because you don't end up on the roof like all he does is say can you say that again and then you get to make the connection, and then as Stu is saying it, that's when you figure it out. Right. Rather than seeing the power out, the ice, the power out, the flashback, you've already figured it out, like, way before Stu has explained it. That's the best part of a mystery, right. is, like, when you can't figure it out. Yep. Nope, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Well, also making people less cool with all the crazy stuff that they do. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. They're just very nonchalant about everything. Like. Yeah. His wife, Stu's wife, should be peeved about everything that's going on. Like, he did lose her little brother yeah, in Bangkok. And he, and he lost a finger and, like... Messed again, up his even, life. Even, even if he's, like, cool at the end of it, where it's like, no, I'm glad I had this adventure. If he's like, you owe me a finger, or, like, something. Like, mm-hmm. just, just, just something to show, like, you're gonna need to earn my trust back. Or, like, we, we, can, be, we can be cool because you found me again. Right. But, like, really have people have consequences for their actions. Yeah. And you know what else would have been fun? Like, if the Paul Giamatti FBI raid actually helped him get to the wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, that oh, would yeah, have been... afterwards, because then he's like, hey, if you, need any, if you need any help with anything ever, just give me a call, and we can do at least one favor for you. Yeah. So that, like, you know, they could have had, like, a helicopter escort in to the wedding. Yeah, and then that sort is more of a badass thing of, like, yeah. Like, say it's Paul Jim. Actually, no, Stu should Actually, be yeah. the one that tells him, right? Yeah, because they... then, then if he fa- comes in on, like, a, like a government-issued helicopter, then they could be, like, then he just pops in and they are automatically impressed with him. Right. Rather than a speedboat that crashes the wedding. Yeah. 
That, no, that ma- that makes more sense. I actually like that that the uh, the FBI would help him or whichever government organization it was. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you could think I, that you'd want to go under with? Uh, I think that's I think that's it. If we've still got if we can't change the entire structure of the movie, but we're gonna doctor it a little bit, I think that's the best we can do. I agree. So like what? Uh, so just as a summary, like what's the what's kind of the movie look like now? So they it still opens kind of similarly. We meet Teddy in the airport. He's more of a wants to meet Stu or like get to know Stu a bit more, and he gets in the seat where Alan wants to be. This is where Alan starts to grow resentment towards Teddy. Mm-hmm. Then at the beach, Chow is the one that comes and Ruthie's them by mm-hmm. or by mistake or on purpose up in the air. Yeah. Either Teddy gets taken because they believe it's Chow's son or similar thing. Mm-hmm. We think it would be funny if. Alan got his uh, beard shaved. Yeah, give give more of a joke. Show show more of that. Stu not banging the stripper and having. I liked Teddy more banging the stripper mm-hmm. with that. I like the bond that that would have had with Stu yeah. and Teddy. But maybe Chow, because then the bartender bouncer guy is more willing to turn on him. And then take out the the Russians right there at least, and like have the stripper tell them that there's a meeting that they have to go to. Right. And, well, okay, this is more of a film thing, but just, like, have a reason for Alan to feel like he needs to win Phil's friendship back. Mm-hmm. Then they get the FBI, and then the FBI helps them get to the wedding where they show the wife's dad that, oh, no, we were gone for this long to uh, yeah. arrest Chow. Yeah, we, we helped the government arrest one of the top criminals in the world. And then just throughout the uh, film, everyone's a little bit nicer to each other. Yes, Yep, I would say that's cool. overall. You, awesome. You also sort of mentioned a different subject. Now we're not under surgery. You mentioned the Todd Phillips structure. Yeah, so that's what I was looking at. the The film was written by, written and directed by Todd Phillips, and he had help from uh, two other writers. One in particular, I want to point out his name is Craig Mazin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a uh, he's also a podcaster as well as a as a feature screenwriter. Yes. And the two of them kind of have a little bit of similar styles. Because Todd Phillips has the three Hangover movies, he's got the movie War Dogs, and he's got a few other things. But those, the style of Todd Phillips and Craig Mazin, for that matter, a lot of times is very uh, cynical of people. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of times kind of looking at the worst in people, which is why I understand where they're coming from with the parts where, you know, they're, Stu bangs a stripper again, like he's repeating his mistakes, and like Phil's always mean to his friends, and like, you know, complains about things because that's just who he is. And Alan just being a doofus who's who's getting in the way and, like, trying to sabotage everything just because he can't have his way. And then everything just works out for them, even though they're awful people. I feel like that's such a recurring theme in Todd Phillips' works especially. Yeah. Like, if you've seen War Dogs, it's all about these war profiteers, like these 20-somethings who make a deal with the government for billions of dollars to, like, manufacture weapons for them. And then they just live up like the time of their lives while they're doing it. And it's just, and it's a lot of them trying to, you know, survive and figure it out and just stay as these top criminals. If you, if anyone ever sees The Hangover Part 3, it's even more cruel and mean. And it's all about them like trying to take down this big or like drug organization headed by John Goodman. Uh, and it's just, it's just and, and with Craig Mays and stuff, it's a lot of similar things where it's the jokes come from people being mean to each other and like a lot of them. It feels like he's trying to, like, they're trying to explain that human nature is just this kind of cruel beast right. that you can't really get get around, so you might as well just, like, make fun of it. 
I do agree with that, and I think a lot of the reason why it's so mean-spirited is also the location that they're at. Mm -hmm. Like, because Bangkok is just more, you know, they depict it more as a dirty, uh, everyone's trying to make a quick buck no matter what. Like, the bartender or uh, bouncer guy in the club is saying, like, oh, you want a little kid? Yeah, I'll be 2,000. I don't know. Maybe it's more. Like, that's just, like, ew. But see, (laughs) those jokes make sense for the The area, for, like, the location. It doesn't make as much sense for, like, the people to be doing all that stuff, too. Yeah, but here's an idea I had. What if we change the location? Like, we still have these scummy people, but, like, it's a different, cleaner area. Mm-hmm. What if this took place in Canada? <laughs> so it's, like, everything's super clean and pristine, but it's still, like, a drug, like, ridden, like, underbelly. Yeah, like, like, you take a really, like, nice place and sort of flip it. True, and then, because then after, they could show that, like, Canada's just as gross as, like, certain other places when when you introduce these crazy people yeah. into it. Yeah, and then, like, Zach, or uh, Alan has more of a, I thought you were supposed to be nice people, and Stu's like that, too. He's like, I chose Canada because I didn't want the fakest stuff to happen mm-hmm. again, like, ah. Yeah, because that, cause that would make sense, because Thailand is, like, it's actually a really nice place if anyone can ever get the chance to visit. <laughs> But it is very much like a low down economically, and it's you know it, it needs it needs a little help every so often. Yeah. So it would be kind of fun to see them go somewhere unexpected. That what you would expect from like a similar to Vegas kind of place. Yeah. Because then the third one they go to uh, Tijuana as their like main location. Besides Vegas, they go to Mexico as mm-hmm. their thing, and it's like, well, of course they're gonna go to like the place you would expect them to be. Like, oh, of course the Mexican cartel or whatever. Yeah. So it, it would be cool if they did play like subvert the trope there another thing i thought would be interesting to talk about what do you think the hangover movies would look like if they happened today like say we had a hangover four mm-hmm. do you think they can use like current technology incorporated a bit more like with snapchat with that the review instagram and like maybe they check out the instagram locations yeah or... I, think, I think doing that would be would make it a little bit easier or at least give you more opportunities right because you could be like oh my god, you had, like, a Facebook status change, like, last night? Like, you went from engaged to single and then back to engaged again? To, it's complicated? Yeah. And, because that, that could be funny. It's, like, figuring out, okay, you did that at, like, 2.30 a.m., so we gotta, like, you know, look at all the strip clubs in the area or whatever <laughs> to figure out where we were at that time. Oh, yeah, and then definitely using, like, uh, Snapchat to, like, open things up and, you know, look at the timestamp or to see, like, different things, like the, because this, this, Snapchat has, like, that locations feature now. You try and find oh, people that you know. <laughs> There's there's interesting ways they could use that, I think. Yeah, I, I think especially moving beyond just the, the standard, all right, let's search our pockets for clues. Like, right. you could be really creative with that kind of thing. Yeah. Is there anything um, else you would want to tackle? Uh, I mean, what do you think would happen in, like, a... Uh, what would you want... Would you want the plot to be similar if there was a hangover for? Or yeah. do you think you would want it to be more uh, more of a, a, like a... Like a buddy comedy rather than, like, a... Uh, a search for a missing person or, like, you know, a drug cartel thing. I'm sort of fine with the formula of it all. Like, yes, people would be like, oh, but what are the odds that another person gets taken? I'm just like, I go back to what I said in the beginning. You don't get mad that Scooby-Doo has another mystery to solve. Like, this is the formula we have entered. You just, you differentiate it a little bit and, like, make the story better. Or, like, make the story at least more interesting and have different jokes. Yeah. Like, that's that's the reason that I think people don't like this movie, is that it's almost the exact same, and when it's not, it's worse in a mean-spirited or less uh, interesting story way. Yeah. 
like the third one is just so bad because it doesn't do anything you know it's just like it's completely other movie that doesn't connect at all no because it's not it's barely part of like the canon of the hangover and it's not even a comedy yeah. it's a it's an action movie it's a it's this very dark gritty like action movie that happens to star people who are trying to say jokes but they're not funny mm-hmm. like it's just it's a bunch of uh i don't know i i think they i think the studio probably wanted something that uh these guys like creatives didn't want to have yeah they were like here's like 80 million more dollars make make us something that can cover what we think is every every base when instead you're actually isolating your audience by making it either so different or just not the movie that you think. Because we want to do like a, a dark, gritty crime movie, but with people who are like fish out of water, then just don't make it a hangover movie. Yeah, exactly. And I think the studio and probably some of the creators looked at the reception from Hangover 2 and really did take to heart the, oh, it's the same movie. And now they're like, all right, fine, we'll make it different. But that, in my opinion, made it a little worse. Yeah. Don't, don't make it a different tone. Just yeah. make it a different movie. <laughs> what do you think it would have looked like if we had Doug in the mix of this whole movie? I think it honestly would have been a lot better. Yeah. Because Doug seems like the voice of reason as much as you can be in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a little bit of the bland friend, but, like, he's he's the one who's, like, trying to stick up for everybody. Like, he's the one trying to get the group together. And, like, he's the one who tries to convince Alan, like, him and him to let Alan join the group in the first place. And so I think he would be the perfect, like, foil for everybody to work off of because he's the one who's trying to keep everyone's spirits up and especially at the end if like the fbi says sorry we never had teddy good luck then that could be his breaking point where he's like where he does something where he's like no you're gonna like help us find him do whatever you can get like the entire you know government like army over here to like help us find him because we just we just did so much for you yep like seeing seeing the nice guy break down would be kind of an interesting thing and i think that would fit into the what I've described as the Todd Phillips formula. Yeah, no, I agree. I sort of feel bad for the character Doug. Mm-hmm. Like he just gets sidelined all the time, and I think he could have been a very a change of pace of something different, and mm-hmm. could have added a lot more to it. Yeah, I think he also does get kidnapped in the third one again, right? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. But that's what I think is just Doug keeps getting sidelined too much. Yeah, just have him do something besides be on the phone. Yeah. Uh, also, a weird thing. I did want to go back to this. Does it seem weird that there was such a big relationship that they tried to build between Stu and the stripper in the first movie, like, uh, and then just to throw it away without like with and her, she's just a joke in this movie. Like, they only reference her to be like, remember this time where he slept with a whore? It's like that seems like kind of cruel for someone you ended up liking at the end of the movie. Yeah. And then I get that they wanted to you know set it in Bangkok and probably do that, but they. I feel like they could have done more, like, even even with the, if he ever told his uh, future wife, it's like, hey, I had this thing. Like, she could even be jealous, be like, you were married once before and you had a great relationship with her. Like, you know, you still talk every so often on the phone. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like it's, it's it was a really well-made character. Like, I liked her a lot. I did too. In the first movie. So I think it was it was kind of a waste to let that entire character and plot thread go, wait until the third movie to bring him back. Do you think he should be marrying her in this movie? Like, does that... I don't think he should necessarily marry... uh, I forget the character's name, but the stripper from the first movie. Right. But I do think that she should have been some kind of element in the story because, again, you made such a big deal about her character in the first one that I think she at least deserves to be back in in this movie. 
I wouldn't mind him marrying her, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that could have made it a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just and take a place could, in Canada. Yeah, she's Canadian. Been, she's a Canadian. She's Canadian. She moved to Vegas. And then, yeah, that, I guess that's my thing. If we're going to send it in Bangkok, just bring her back as an element for, like, you know, either the wife to be jealous of or to almost be supportive be like, no, I understand, and I'm glad you had this adventure. Or remove her altogether, make it the stripper, send it in Canada. Yeah. No, they they definitely did sort of whiff on that, and I am a little bummed because she was really fun in the first one and had a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is uh, sort of weird, actually, hindsight that they did that. So... Now I think we figured out there are two potential ways to to fix this movie. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. I, I think I'm all set. Yeah, I'm all set, too. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening so much. Please make sure you like, like the podcast on our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. And, of course, to subscribe on iTunes. That's right. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your friends and family. And, again, tell your friends. Yes. And I really hope you guys don't need some Advil after this podcast. So. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Make oh. sure to get rid of your Mike Tyson tattoos. Put your fake teeth back in. All the good stuff. Anyways. All right. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you later. Bye. See ya.